I have Ana Bovino with me today, and she is Argentinian-Brazilian. She's a filmmaker and a political scientist who is very passionate about um, social issues, especially the, the feminist struggle. Um, and she is currently in pre-production of her feature documentary film, which we are going to talk more about. It's called Las Mills. Um, and I'm thinking that, you know, we're going to dive deep into uh, what the documentary is about and also why you were motivated to do this documentary. Um, and I'm thinking maybe you want to, I don't know if you want to um, tell us something more about your background. Like, I know that you live here in Barcelona, just like I do. So maybe you want to tell us how you got here and um, what you've been doing so far. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much for the introduction and especially for inviting me. It's, it's an honor. Um, it's an honor to be invited uh, to speak in an in a event called Changing the Narrative because that for me is like an urgent issue. And well, it's what I'm trying to do now with my film. And so really it's, a, it's, it's great to be here speaking with you. And so, well, I, when I say I'm Argentinian-Brazilian, it's because my heart is Brazilian. <laughs> I was okay. born in Argentina and I grew up in Brazil. Oh, okay. uh, so it's like my second, it's my, it's, well, second or first home. I don't know. I'm like, I feel <laughs> both. I feel both. Um, and I, in Argentina, I studied political science and cinema. And I came to Barcelona two years ago to do a master in creative documentary. So, and that, that's where I developed uh, my, my film, which is actually my first feature film. Uh, when I noticed that I wanted, before that, when I was studying cinema, I did two short films. I produced them, wrote them and directed them, but they're fiction films. And after that, I found, most, I found that I was always watching documentaries. Like in films, film festivals, I only chose documentaries and I was like passionate about that. So I decided to come to Barcelona to, this master, which is in the Pompeu Fabra, which is really wonderful. And where I, uh, I started developing a project, I had a, a different idea in, in the beginning. And well, after some personal things happened to me, I just changed the focus. Uh, and that's what, uh, what I'm working on now. And exactly, I'm, I'm in pre-production. I've been developing it for the past year and a half or two. And I'm starting shooting now in, in two weeks. <laughs> so very, very emotional about that. And so we, we are um, recording this interview now. It's today, it's, the, um, it's October 14th. Um, so when this interview is coming out, uh, this is already gonna, you know, this has, has already happened, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but because I wanted people to also know about your uh, crowdfunding campaign, but obviously that will be, done when the interview comes out because that was actually how I um, got to know about you. A friend of mine forwarded the campaign to me and I thought it was just so interesting because you were literally talking about changing the narrative in your description in your crowdfunding campaign. Um, so I thought that was really, really interesting and I thought, okay, we definitely have something in common here. Um, And so tell me a little bit about that. Like what that, what does that mean to you, this whole thing of changing the narrative? Well, actually, um, 
I'm happy that uh, we're speaking, at least in Argentina, that's where I'm from. We started speaking about femicides and about gender violence and about uh, gender inequality and about uh, so much rights that we as women or, or non-conforming gender people don't have. We're talking about everything that we're lacking and, and all the violence we're suffering. I, I'm very happy about that. I, I'm happy finally because we... In Argentina, it began in 2016 with the first Ni Una Menos, which was the first massive mobilization reacting against uh, a, a, a case of, of, of a femicide. Mm -hmm. So we, all, we had, we always had terrible statistics, which uh, a woman or a trans person is killed every 30 hours in Argentina. Wow. That wasn't new, but suddenly in 2016, a group of people which came from the mass communications, they got organized and they created this hashtag, which was really, I believe, they started creating a narrative, precisely, which was Ni Una Menos, which means non, uh, no woman, not any more womanless, no yeah. womanless. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to translate it. It's actually so powerful in Spanish because it's yeah. so short. And, and it says, and it talks about, We don't want any, any other woman else killed. And we're talking about all of us at the same time. Yeah. So with, with this hashtag, just I think they didn't imagine it. Millions of women and other people, it wasn't only women, went out on the streets asking for us to stop being killed. Yeah. Uh, so really, I think that was, it was a big, I think there was, it's a before and after in Argentina. And I think in the world, because it rapidly spread all over Latin America. And I think in many other countries, many other countries too. So we needed to start speaking about it. But I also think that we need now, I think we can, because at least from where I speak in Argentina, we can start speaking about other things as well. I mean, and that's why I think it's interesting when you say the expressing changing the narrative, because we're speaking about the same thing, but I think we need to change the focus from where we're speaking. And the thing is in Argentina, when, this, when we started speaking about femicides, the uh, mass media also started speaking about femicides more than they did, but in a way that is really, uh, well, which I consider uh, terrible, which I consider re-victimizing, re victimizes the victims and, and us as women, uh, putting all, always putting the, the, the woman in the place of a victim. Of course she is, but it's not only that, and showing like the woman's face, but not the aggressor's face. Mm. And it's like, the, like, I think it, obviously it's important that we speak and that we say it and that we denounce it, But I think we're, we're lacking or we should have much more stories and narratives and discourses that show us, uh, us women and non-conforming gender people, uh, as people that are organized, that are fighting, that are struggling, and uh, well, we've been empowered. We, we already were empowered also before. But maybe at least in Argentina, we got organized as a group, you know, like there were, Argentina has a long um, history and a long tradition of popular struggles like uh, people get together and they get organized and they, they struggle for their rights but it was the first time that the, the women identifying collective started struggling together uh, massively mm -hmm. so so I think and it's I'm completely passionate about what happens in, in all these gatherings what happens when we are like a massive group of like, it's like, it's a whole body. It's as if it was only one huge body of a million people, many times majority of women or 
or non-conforming gender people on the streets, like something, and we used lots of music and drums and we sing songs and we dance and we, we perform the, the mobilization, we use glitter, we write things in our own bodies. Hmm. So it's like, it's something which is, for me, it, it was the first time I lived it like this during these past years, since 2016, in different events. Also the, the most, maybe one of the most famous ones and most impressive ones was the struggle for abortion, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, that that's incredible. And also not only in the mass mobilizations, but also in the assemblies where these mobilizations are organized. So there, it's a group of so, such diverse people that are there fighting for the same. And what happens there, like uh, discursively, like what people are saying and what they're thinking and what is created there, I think it's incredible. Like, I think it's incredible. And I want those narratives to be, I, I want that to be the new narrative. I think we need to see yeah. more of that and less of us as victims. So I think I really got <laughs> extended answering your question. No, that's great. I want you to talk. <laughs> no, and you know what, uh, what you're talking about now, um, it reminds me of one video that became very popular. And I have to say, every time I watch it, I get really emotional. <laughs> I actually cry every time I see it. And it's the one that's, um, it's called Un Violador en Tu Camino. Or el violador eres tú. It's Spanish and it means a rapist in your in your path. No? Um, and uh, it, it was performed by a Chilean feminist group, as far as I know. Do you remember? Exactly. It's not so many years ago. I think it was in 2019 or something. I think it was 2019. It was, if I'm not mistaken, because it was during all the uh, popular revolt in uh, in Chile. They yeah. had all this huge upheaval that had also a very important uh, women and non-conforming gender people had also a very important role. And all it wasn't about only about that. It was about, well, so many social issues, which in yeah. the end it's the same. I think we're talking about having a much more just society. Uh, but the, the role that feminism played in, in those manifestations and in that revolt was very, very important. And exactly, they created that. It's a group of, uh, they start, they weren't very well known before that, but there were mm. just a small group of performers. And I think what, what they do is they take uh, slogans or discourses or narratives, actually, yeah. uh, academic, and convert them into a performance, into something that is, that can be easily reproduced and performed. Mm. And understood, so, right? And understood, exactly. but yeah, because that's important too. Exactly. Well, and on all of this that we're speaking about changing the narrative, that's also it's not only in changing it, but also in being able to to make other people understand it and make and take it as their own, which was yeah. what happened. Yeah, we took it as our own in Argentina. I performed it. It was. Oh, did you? Oof. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was. It was. It was incredible because it was happening everywhere. Like yeah. everywhere. Like it just happened. You were there, and then suddenly you were. You were doing it, you know? Yeah, it was and I know that there were, it was translated in many different languages and there were performances all over the world. I They had one in Spain as well. I mean, that was easy because it was already in Spanish, but I know that it was translated to many different uh, languages. And I don't know. Actually, yeah, go mm -hmm. ahead. In Turkey, in Turkey, they performed yeah. it inside the Turkish parliament, yeah. <laughs> which is 
actually uh, not the most uh, feminist friendly no. place and it was I think they I think some I'm not sure but I think some people there were like they, they were um uh, put in, in jail for a night yeah. I don't know there was a problem yeah. it was really a problem and they were performing it like the many people in the parliament it was, it was really incredible yeah and, and that's what you were talking about. many other that was what you were talking about that when you go out and do something that is so powerful and impact people like when you do performances or songs or when you use um art really uh to express yourself it's somehow very very powerful and it reaches people and i don't know what it is about this video but every time i watch it i mean even now when we talk about it i get like goosebumps but when i watch it i very often break down and cry It's just so emotional for me. And it's exactly what you were talking about, like all these people coming together, all these women coming together and saying enough, this is it. Like, you know, we're not going to take this anymore. Um, and I think we, especially we as filmmakers have a really big responsibility also to, to um, tell stories that reflect how the world is today and what change we want. Right. And so I think it's really amazing when people like you, they go into documentary and, and they're very, very like mm, determined to uh, change a certain narrative and explain a story um, like the one that you're you're going to explain. And actually, I would love for you to go more into that um, to your documentary and maybe tell us, first of all, because I know something terrible happened to your sister um she was she's a survivor of a femicide attempt in her dance studio right yeah exactly actually the story was that um she it's a, it's a her dance studio which she directs and where she's a teacher also there are many other teachers there and they were there like in, she, my sister was working in buenos aires in buenos aires yes in buenos aires yeah. my sister they were just back they had had just reopened I think two weeks ago so she was very happy they had reopened and she was working in the reception and there were some classes going on and a boy which is a student just came in and he some minutes before the class but it's normal because it's a dance studio which is a, a place where many dancers meet and yeah. so normal he just came in and then suddenly uh, he found this this other dance teacher in the corridor well he went to look for her he didn't find her <laughs> he went for that And he took out this huge knife, which is a but uh, like a butcher's big, huge butcher's knife, and started to try to kill her and started to oh. just knife her. I don't know how, how was the verb in English, just to stab her exactly yeah. to stab her. And she started running. And well, my sister heard these screaming, and she saw this girl came running, this this dancer, this one of her teachers, and this boy in the back, like. Uh, trying to stab her I think he had I don't I don't know if he had already managed to stab her so my sister just put herself in front of the girl just try to stop the situation and so he started stabbing both and wow. he was like just well they both were very very much stabbed everywhere uh, and uh, and he was saying oh, move he was telling my sister move or I will kill you both and my sister she told me like in that moment because I can't believe she <laughs> what it might have felt to be here in that moment but she told me like I couldn't I, I she told me I was very much conscious in that moment okay and I, it was a rational decision and she said it was very fast but I said if I move I'll I will save my life 
because he doesn't want to stab me. He wasn't yeah. looking for my sister. He was looking for the other girl, yeah. with which he was obsessed with, by the way, after that, she told my sister. Um, he was like sending WhatsApp messages all the time. It was his, uh, his um, uh, um, teacher? It was, yeah, she was the okay. teacher of this, of this boy. He was his okay. student, but he had been taking online classes. And afterwards, she, he, she told my sister that he was maybe like always staying later and he wanted to be alone with her in the, in the Zoom. And she, he started, when everything opened up after the pandemic, he started going to all the places where she teaches, right. like sending her messages, sometimes a bit uncomfortable. But she was in that situation of saying, he didn't threaten me, but I feel uncomfortable, but I don't know what to do. And well... What we see happen so many times that we just let it pass because, oh, it must be me that's crazy. And well, it wasn't her that was crazy. No. She was actually feeling threatened, but she didn't do anything about it because it was in this, in this I don't know, weird zone of it. it wasn't explicit violence, but it was, it's violent, right? You yeah, know, and I want to talk more about about that but you were but i was actually also interrupting you because you were telling me your sister uh, took like a conscious choice of defending that woman exactly so she said if i move i'll save my life because he doesn't want to kill me but if i stay but if i move like he he will kill her like he was killing her he wasn't uh, threatened he was throwing knives everywhere and so she said, and if I stay, I don't know if I'll live, but but I can't, I can't move. Like if I move, if I leave, he will kill her. Yeah. So I will stay. Like she said, it's the only thing I can do now. And, and so she stayed and well, he continued with, with these kniving. And in that moment, the good thing was that the window was open. So some neighbors heard and saw because it was in like street level and they called the police, which luckily was very nearby because there was a car accident or whatever nearby. So they came quickly because there was other people in the dance studio that were like trying to stop the situation. But he was saying like, leave or I'll kill them both. So no one would, no one managed to, to stop him. And then when the police came, they started negotiating the same, like right? uh, put down the knife, put down the knife. He didn't. And he continued. And then, uh, well, they, they shot, the police shot, tried to shoot him, shot wow. him. But then also by mistake, shot my sister also. So she was like, uh, she had a gun. She was injured by the police as well. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. So, well, then, but that's the moment when that's when the situation stopped and the ambulance came and took them both to, to, to the hospital urgently. Yeah. But apart from what for me was the, apart from this situation, which was terrible, I was already living in Barcelona. So I got a call, I received okay. a call from my mom. And she started telling me this, and she started telling me this, but in a way that I had never imagined this. I, I don't know, I imagined something else, much less terrible. Like I imagined someone just got crazy and had a small knife and, yeah. and it was by mistake. You never imagined this. And then, but I was like very worried. And she was saying, I, I don't know about Sophia. My, my sister's called Sophia. She's in, the, uh, she's in the ambulance. I couldn't speak to her yet but I got this news, I'm going to the hospital. So we didn't know anything yet. I didn't know what, if my sister was alive, dead or whatever. Um, and then suddenly we're all <laughs> very dizzy with this. He just sent me uh, the newspaper and I went in the newspaper, which this had happened <laughs> like an hour ago. I don't know, my sister hadn't even arrived in the hospital. And what I saw was a video uh, which was shot by the, the police. They have as a protocol, they have like a GoPro on their... Yeah, like a body cam. 
exactly too yeah. because it's, it's 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 correct you know like uh, mm. for them to know what the languages were already in the um mass media's hand and they were already they, it was like in the news so in what you see in these images uh, which i don't recommend anyone to see <laughs> i think we shouldn't see them but when i saw them I had to stop because I couldn't continue, but it was the situation of a guy and, and all the blood and my sister screaming. And then I, I heard the bullet and I heard my sister screaming. And it was like, so that's that's the first, that's how I got to know what had happened to my sister. Wow. And then, uh, well, luckily, if, uh, uh, shortly after, well, I almost got a panic, a panic attack. My roommates were with me and they were like, you're going to stop looking at this. We're taking you to the yeah. hospital now if you don't calm down. But, well, they gave me some empanadas and <laughs> called me down. And then finally, my sister, luckily, she she was okay. She spent some nights in the hospital, but but she didn't, the, the bullet was in her finger. She didn't lose her finger. And, well, she was okay and the girl was okay. So they were out of risk. But in that night that she spent, she spent two nights in the hospital. After the, during the first night, she received, next morning, she woke up and looked at her, looked at her cell phone. And she had received 110 calls from the um, reporters. I don't know from the news, from the press. Yeah, yeah, press exactly. Wow. And, yeah, completely respectful, <laughs> like crazy. And then they were showing these images. There were two. There were I don't know someone's cell phone, which was there, and the police images, and all these huge head titles, and some. Of course, they went into my sister's Instagram and they took pictures of her and her her photos were like going in circles. Yeah. And this other girl, which was also a dancer in, in a TV program, which is very famous. So they were already speaking about how she dances, with who she goes out, with who she does it, all the private lives. And I think no photo of the, of the aggressor or only one. They weren't mm. saying who he was. All the focus was on them. It was... And all everywhere, like all of the main newspapers and all the TV channels. So every time I went in a newspaper in Argentina, I had to see those images again because those images were just going in circles everywhere during two weeks. And and, and that's that's why I suddenly said I have to do this film. I have to do a film that that is. It's not about my film. Is not about this because mm. precisely I don't think I don't, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> it, it, no. They already talked about. It. Yeah. but uh, I want to dispute these images I want to dispute these narratives because they yeah. have the the domination and the hegemony of 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 the of the information and of narrative yeah and I'm tired of it because yeah. I don't I don't want I don't want to see those images anymore and I think we need to start creating new stories new narratives and new and characters also which uh, which which portrait what we are what we're doing which was we are resisting this well it's still happening but we are organized and we are resisting this and we are we're making up how we want to live and we're discussing it and we are well we have other stories which we want to tell uh, which is what we do with all of this that creates well everything that i was saying in the beginning right all of these mm mass joining and creating this whole body and this political subject which which i feel very much identified with which is feminism and so that's that was the mo motivation of the film yeah yeah thank you for sharing it with us because that definitely gives us some background and and some understanding of your motive for for doing the documentary but i know it's obviously not something you really want to revisit and like you explained you've already been through it and um 
And I think it, you're absolutely right. I mean, lately, I have to say in the last couple of years, I had the same thought without having gone through something so traumatic like you and, and your sister. I have this feeling that, um, well, not just, not just a feeling, it's actually what's happening, that the press is just getting um, more and more rough and cares less and less about who they write about and, and who they expose and how they do it. It seems like all ethical rules have just gone out the window. Uh, nobody really worries about that anymore. And nobody really worries either about the truth, uh, whether it is truth, truthful or not, the facts, fact-checking. Um, I mean, we, we've seen it during the, the pandemic, right? That it doesn't matter. It's just, you know, you need to get um, any little piece of news out and it's always based on fear. It's always very fearful. And, and it's interesting because I spoke to another, um, she's a film director and producer in Denmark. Um, and she's also an activist. And we spoke here in one of the episodes here on Changing the Narrative. Um, and we spoke about uh, the press and how they deal with, um, well, well, the news and how they, how, and how easy it is for everyone really to, um, be the one that gives you the news. It doesn't always have to be a real, like quote unquote, real journalist. I mean, we get our news from social media, from almost any type of platform. And people are just not really so occupied with those ethical rules anymore because any person can deliver news to you. Um, and I think that's that's a huge problem. Um, and it, and it, it's hurtful for you and, and for your sister and people in similar situations. Yes, totally. It's because they sell. It's because they make money on this. So yeah. also what worries me is that, that they make money on this. Well, yeah. my sister, after this happened, she suddenly got like an Instagram. I don't know how many more followers. I was like, yeah. it can't be. Like, it can't be that people, that she now is a is a heroine because she was a victim mm. and people want to see this and, and these videos, why are they sharing these? It should be illegal. I actually yeah. think it, sh it must be illegal yeah. for you to use these images. These, these are protocol images of the police. How come they are circulating and how come it's, it's, I was, I was thinking when this happened, I'm not completely destroyed. I was very much destroyed, but not completely destroyed because my sister is alive. Yeah. But they do the same when the, when women are killed. Yeah. So I can't imagine how it must be if, if the story was like this or for all the people, because after that, that same week, uh, there was a very similar situation in Argentina of a teacher also in a school. And she was actually killed by a student wow. and her face was also there yeah. and she was killed. And what do what do what does the family do with that? Yeah. So, and also, like, I know that uh, there is, well, my, my, psychi my psychologist was telling me this when, when we were talking a lot about this, and she was saying with suicide, it is, it's illegal. You cannot post uh, images or videos about a suicide because of the repeating effect. So why is this not the same yeah. for femicides? And, and I was thinking, because the twin, twin brother of, of this aggressor, uh, he, he's, he went out to speak in the press and he was saying that his brother's dream was to go on television. And I was thinking, well, he made Oh, it. okay, yeah. 
Well, this is this is an interesting point because I wanted to um, ask you about this. Uh, Like, let's try and talk about this and debate this because you are saying I want less um, focus on the woman as a victim. Right. And I would maybe have liked to see more focus on him or seeing his face or who is he getting him exposed On the other hand, I would say another interesting um, way of looking at could be, well, obviously we don't want to make the women look uh, weak and as as a victim, but I definitely think we somehow want to put the focus on the woman, but with a different narrative. Because if we put the focus on the aggressor, what happens? We repeat his name like for example serial killers or serial rapists who gain um uh like uh, they get a nickname um they become famous almost celebrity status almost rock stars status you know they get glorified in some way um through these repeating um mentions of them making films about them um seeing their face there are plenty of serial killers that we know them as almost as, as celebrities. We know their faces, we know their, their names. And we know also for a fact that um, a lot of incidents happens because of copycats and because they see, you know, what the popularity, quote unquote popularity, this guy has uh, received from, from the heinous acts that he's done, but he's received attention, popularity, um, perhaps he's even gone on TV shows or who knows, you know, all of this um, that is part of glorifying uh, this uh, horrible person. And so what do you think about that? How can we get to a point where we give the women the well-deserved attention, but not as a victim and perhaps uh, ignore the guy, but also do not ignore the, um, uh, the debate on, you know, talking about what he has done wrong and how we can solve it. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. No, I think you're totally right. I hadn't thought of it, but but it is exactly. Yeah. Totally. Maybe I was thinking now while you were speaking um, many things. First, I think you're right. Like if the focus is on him, it's exactly what I'm saying about this guy, right? Oh, then suddenly he'll get his yeah. popularity. But maybe what bothers me is that many times, I don't remember if it was the case of this one, but many times their faces are like blurred, blurred. which is to protect them. But the victim's face is not blurred. So you're not, you don't, you don't care about protecting the victim, but you care about protecting the aggressor. Yeah. And the other thing I think is that we're talking about giving voice and why should then we give faces, right? I think that, that with all of these uh, these these narratives of the of the press and that we're, that they're violent, the problem is that they're putting they're they're putting the, the victims' faces, and they always choose the same type of photographs. I don't know if you noticed, like it's like like the little good girl or the uh, like the sexy girl, you know? Yeah. Like they're choosing those. It's funny because with my sister, she had a photograph. I don't remember of what famous girl in this playing thing in her Instagram. Like, oh, I look like her a long time ago. And they put that photo. Oh, really? And it wasn't her. It wasn't her. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what you're saying about the misinformation. It's like so ridiculous. And they choose all these, like the stereotype of the femicide victim. But very few times they are giving the voice 
yeah. right? Or like they're they're telling their story and with their words, they're the ones who are choosing where to put the focus, which is usually in all this. That, it's what sells in the end. Mm. People want to see it. Why did they put the police images there? Because you have knives, you have blood, you have shooting, yeah. uh, you have women suffering, you have a man. It's like perfect for what for rating. Yeah. Uh, but I think there is a little worry. I think there are two things are first of all this giving a voice and maybe why why is the why is the focus on the face of the poor girl? Why aren't we hearing her with her telling her version of the story? Mm. With her folk, with her choosing where to put the focus, which details to center on, and then the other thing is also debate about this, and maybe maybe we should also be hearing people that are experts on this and that are studying. In, in the case of, of him, there was all a big debate, not debate, but what it what it brought on the table was all this harassment through social media because yeah. he was harassing her through Instagram. I don't know. I think in Argentina, this is not a this is not a. Um, it's not a crime it's not a crime yeah not a crime so there were there were women that were starting were using this case to talk about this like we yeah. need to put this in the penal code because it should be a crime because all of these things are happening so i think we need more space for that i think yeah. we need to speak about it we should definitely need to speak about it but putting the focus maybe there should, it shouldn't be the face of my sister but my sister's voice and the, all the people that are involved in this and and precisely working actively and not as victims in transforming it. Mm -hmm. And about now that we're talking about film, there is a, a film called Tempestad from Tatiana Hueso, which is a Mexican director. And she does, what she does is, well, because I, I've seen some in interviews to her, it's Mexico, it's violence, state violence in Mexico. And she says what we're talking about. So I recommend the film. It's, yeah. it's what we're talking about. Like she's saying, I'm tired of seeing... Uh, violence converted into statistics into gruesome things i'm tired of this narrative we need to create other narratives yeah and what she does is one of the the main focus of the film is on the voices you have all the time the narration of the stories of violence of two women with their voices all the time one of them you never see her face you never see her you see other things and the other one you do see her you see her but it's never like the focus is never put on on her body and her face mm, yeah. and they're telling their stories it's very interesting because it's precisely the the opposite of the um, press narrative you know which yeah. is quick to the facts and with where it hurts and yeah. they they're speaking from from telling their stories which, yeah. which is i think what we need which is yeah super important hearing those stories um, and, and also seeing often that there is a, a human being behind. There's not just a sexy photo or whatever the press has decided to put out there, but there's actually a human being with feelings and emotions. And there's a family and friends behind who are also suffering greatly. Um, yeah, th that's just very, very important. And I'd like to come back to what you were talking about when you were explaining the, the story about how this um, boy had been actually stalking his teacher. Um, I think we don't really, we're not very aware of some of the, I don't know if we should call them red flags or some of those tell signs um, that are off, that often leads to something more serious. In some cases it doesn't, but in many cases it does actually. And I don't think that uh, many people are 
informed about that, knows about it, know how to react. Um, I think one of the most dangerous behaviors from men are or is when they stalk a woman because that is very often the beginning of an obsession that will sometimes uh, end up in in the in a murder in a murder situation and it shouldn't be taken lightly and you know what I've actually um, I've had friends who experienced this I have um, you know, male friends whose uh, girlfriends or sisters or whatever experienced it. Um, I experienced it at, when I was working um, in an office building and I had a, a colleague there, a female colleague, and she would tell me how there was this one guy that would always wait for her outside and he would follow her to the metro. And in the metro, he would start like trying to strike up a conversation and she would be, you know, what? this is the problem for me. I think a lot of um, there is something inside us as women that we have grown up and, and our parents very often have throughout history been educated to being nice girls. Okay, you, you're not necessarily a nice girl, but it's very, it's almost indoctrinated into us. You have to be a good girl. You have to be nice. You have to be polite. You have to be polite to strangers. You, it, there are these things that you're being taught when you're a girl that I don't think that boys are being taught in the same way. Boys are more allowed to, oh, boys will be boys. They can do whatever they mm -hmm. want. They don't necessarily have to be polite. And so there is this politeness thing in us that when somebody talks to us, we have to reply. Okay, it's bullshit. You don't have to reply to any stranger. If somebody talks to you in the metro, you don't have to reply to them. And you can even tell them very directly. I'm sorry, I don't know you and I don't feel like talking to you, but have a nice day. And that's it. And you turn around and you don't, you know, you don't have to engage into these weird conversations. I really think that any woman <laughs> has experienced sitting in, in a uh, public transportation and a guy has sat next to her and tried to talk to her. You know, I, I don't know any women who haven't tried that. So what I'm trying to say is that Uh, but one, once this becomes something like on a regular basis, so this guy was actually waiting for her outside of, of uh, her, her office, um, that is something that you should take more seriously. And it's something that, for example, her, her work should have done something about. You know, there has to be some sort of responsibility if the man is standing outside of her door at work at that I think actually he was even working in that building. Well, that has to be dealt with by the company. You can't just say, oh, that's not my responsibility. It's happening you know, outside of office hours. No, I'm sorry. She's on her way home from the office and he's standing on your ground waiting for her. Um, and I think these things that people take more lightly, they have to be addressed and they have, and people have to understand that they are actually serious. Totally. And another another figure that I, I totally agree with this thing that we have to be nice. I'm luckily starting to <laughs> to rebel myself from that, but it's difficult yeah. because it happens now. Oh, yeah. I need to answer. Like, no. no, I'm starting to get angry. Like you're invading me, speaking to me. Like I you don't have to do it, you know? 
and we don't do it. But I also think that another problem is that we are all this this stereotype of us women as crazy. So maybe and maybe we also believe it of ourselves. You know, this guy is writing to me every day. Well, but I'm getting scared. Oh, I must be crazy. Or oh, you're scared. Oh, you must be crazy. And then yes, and then something like this happens. So I think we need we definitely need to talk more about it and to have it's what you're saying like uh, more responsibilities and more. Well, in Argentina, where it's something that's happening luckily a lot now is in all the workplaces or at least in the public. I used to work in a public theater, so we had that in, in the public sphere. We have protocols uh, of gender violence. So what should you do in a case of gender violence? Okay. And we're having a lot. This was when many of these initiatives that we're starting to have due to all of this organization, which is state-wise and also in every, in every working space. Well, in, in where I was working in the theater, we, had, we, we were creating our feminist uh, group to start speaking of these things and start thinking together of the protocols. And another thing that has been already become laws and that are, is being implemented in, in different spaces is the um, training of employees, training employees so that they know what to do in these cases. Because yeah, sometimes it's things we don't think of, we don't give enough time thinking what should we do in these cases. So, Yeah. yeah, and it's good to be, I mean, it's it's good to be informed because um, also we can't obviously expect for everyone to understand these situations. And especially, I think, if you're a man and you haven't experienced that um, yourself, then how are you supposed to know? So, of course, education is, is the first thing, mm -hmm. right? It's like informing people, educating them. Um, but first of all, there must be a platform for women to speak up about these things and take it seriously and not just have men or even other women um, think that you're crazy or, the, oh, this is just a little flirt. Oh, come on. Mm -hmm. I mean, when somebody comes up to you in the metro, I, I specifically remember one guy in the metro, he came and he sat down next to me and I was reading a book and he would just like lean in and look at the cover of the book, like very openly, you know, and I was, I would look at him And he was, oh, what are you reading? And I told him the title. And then from then on, I knew I knew it already. You know, then I had engaged in conversation, but I just wanted to be polite. And then he started, he continued talking. And then I just turned around and I told him, you know what? Uh, I'm sitting here reading a book, obviously, and I really want to read my book. I'm not interested in talking to a stranger on the metro, so I'm really sorry. And he continued, and he then asked me where I lived. And I got really fucking pissed. <laughs> and I told him, how dare you ask me where I live? What do you think this is? A stranger that comes up to you in the metro and asks you where I live? Am I supposed to be intimidated and afraid now to get off on this next metro stop? What is this? I mean, and this is like from, it escalates from zero to 10 in two seconds. And, and I think that is something that, and you can have different attitudes towards that and, and men will respond differently to that because if you have a quote unquote weaker attitude towards it, 
he might have taken advantage of that and somehow manipulated me or, um, or even seen me as a weak person. And maybe he would have gotten off and followed me afterwards. Um, but also if you take a more um, direct approach, and if you try to be stronger and more direct, um, you can provoke someone with that attitude. Mm -hmm. So you're really never safe in any way that you, that you uh, react to these things. And, and I think we just, we need to be allowed, um, allowed, not allowed, but we need to um, give all women a platform and a way of speaking up about these things and so that women know that you don't have to accept it. You don't have to accept that these strangers come up to you. It doesn't have to be normal. It doesn't have to be normalized. It doesn't have to be something that you roll your eyes at. You can actually say, no, I won't have it. You know, and it seems so, I know that what, if, if men are listening to this, um, some might find it really hysterical and think, oh, why would I not be able to walk out to somebody and talk to that person? Uh, does that mean I can't buy a woman a drink in a bar now? And no, it, that, that's not what it's about. And I think if you're an adult and normal functioning person, you know the difference. And you, because there is so much to do with attitude and how you say things and what you say. Because I have also been approached with comments like, do I scare you? And when a man says that to me, I tell him, uh, no, you don't. But that comment is just not normal at all, because that proves to me that you already know that what you're doing can be can be perceived as some as like uh, intimidating. Right. So your attitude is already wrong there. So it's not about whether you can speak to a, a woman or not in public or speak to a stranger. Of course you can. And if somebody comes up to me politely and asks me something, I will always answer them. But it's about the attitude and it's the way you're doing it and it's your intentions and the women see your intentions right away. Yeah, so it's about it, like you know how, how it's consentimiento in Spanish. It's agreeing. It's it's wanting. Consent. Yeah, like consent exactly. Like, and I think like we we've been relating as human beings for so many years. I think we know how to express consent and yeah. non-consent. Like, I don't I don't think we need to put a sign saying "Don't speak to me" or "Speak to me." But it's what you're what the story you're telling. You answered him, and then you didn't want to answer anymore, and he was insisting. It's like don't you notice like I, or I, and, I, and I can just politely say stop speaking to me and then mm. you have to stop and actually with this girl the, the teacher uh, the teacher that, that was stabbed yeah. um, when he was stabbing her he was saying because I told her something about me and now which a uh, traumatic experience when I was young and she laughed or she didn't answer so okay. and Supposedly, that's why he was <laughs> killing her, which is yeah. completely crazy. Like, yeah. and, and that's the thing. It's like he wanted her to answer him. So he was giving all these steps, these steps, these steps. And he was like opening an, an intimacy that she didn't want. And she's in her whole right not to want. Yeah. And when she put a stop, he got angry and he decided to kill her. And I think the problem also is that, and here why I think it's structural. And it's that they... I, I mean, they, I, I mean, a stru structured patriarchal, patriarchal attitude. I don't mean all men, of course, no. but that there is an ownership uh, feeling that like, like, 
like I own this body and I own this and then, and then she's not allowed to say no. Yeah. So I think this is, this is, this is the, the serious thing that's behind all this. And, and that's why I, I don't know. I think we need like very deep policies uh, in order to change this. I think we are, we are so far, unfortunately, like sometimes I feel like, yes, we're doing it. <laughs> But sometimes I feel we have such a long way to go because I think there's, so many things that we need to rethink. And but coming back to the change in the narrative, I think one of the ways to, which which I believe in and which is my the way I can do things because I chose cinema and it's what I know doing is precisely con constructing narratives and, and, and images and, con and new concepts. We need to reconceptualize everything. We need to change so many things. And I think that building these new images and these new narratives is, is a way of changing this because in the end there's like a, a problem of concept I think there is and, and I think putting women in victims we are still put in this victims and victims in order for a newspaper to sell more we're still in the place of objects yeah we're still in the place of this body is my object so I can sell this body as my object so I can rate this body as my object because I want it and, and this body is an object so they can sell more newspapers and, and so I think we need to start changing this And I hope I hope we can at least put a little grain of sand through through narrative, through words and yeah. through images. And also, um, I think women are also still being blamed often for um, for either femicide or rape or any kind of gender violence. And also, often the the solution is being put on uh, prohibiting women from doing things. I'm reminded of in the 70s when in England there was uh, a, a certain curfew for women because there was a serial killer. Um, and so let's not mention his name because <laughs> we're not going <laughs> to glorify him. And, but there was a serial killer in the 70s in England and um, he was uh, killing women in the streets um, and often at night. So the solution was to put a curfew on women, telling them to stay home at night. And women would lose their jobs over it because um, I specifically remember reading about a woman that had um, some sort of like night classes where she would teach women. And because the women were told not to go out at night, um, they wouldn't come to the classes and she would lose her job. So, and here's the thing, why? Are women not allowed to go on the streets? I mean, it's not the women that's the problem. Why couldn't we put a curfew on the men? Because if there's a man walking around alone, then we know it's him, that we know he's the killer. So why don't we tell the men to stay at home? And this is like, it, you know, you have to sometimes turn it around. And sometimes it, it seems like such an obvious thing. Oh, we're just going to prohibit the women from going out, you know, or the women could be out, but they, they would have to be, a comp, a comp, how do you say? Well, uh, have like a male, uh, a friend or a family member with them. Um, but when you could just as well do the opposite. And I just read <laughs> the other day, I mean, it's just so crazy. There was a woman uh, earlier this year that was kidnapped, uh, raped and killed by a policeman and who pretended to arrest her. Okay, so this was his way of getting her into his car and kidnapping her. And the police of England would afterwards go out and recommend women um, to 
Well, first of all, there was one police officer who would go out and say, well, women need to learn to be street smart. And it would also be good for them to learn a little bit more about uh, how the justice system works, because, you know, a police officer can't just go out and arrest you. (laughs) Are you serious? You just kidnapped, raped and and, uh, killed a woman and it's her fault because she's not street smart? Because she didn't know that she didn't, she couldn't go into the uh, police officer's car. Are you kidding me? And then the the police of London they told uh, that you know when a woman feels like maybe this police officer is not the real deal, uh, then they should just quickly try to get away and flag a or wave a bus down. Okay, have you ever tried to do that in a big city? <laughs> Wave at a bus and get it to stop? <laughs> it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. So again, it's like this thing of putting the blame or the solution on the woman. The woman should do this. The woman should do that. Or the woman shouldn't wear um, provocative Uh, dresses or the woman should not walk out at night at three o'clock alone or the woman should learn uh, self-defense you know there was in Denmark there was another um, incident also of a um, politician who you know like a me too case of sexual harassment and and the women were told you know why don't you just learn how to defend yourself you 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 should learn how to defend yourself this guy this politician is actually when he was younger a champion in karate (laughs) and he's like a hundred kilo guy like i don't know 190 centimeter high really tall big guy and the women were told just go and learn self-defense i mean i'm sorry that's ridiculous. It's crazy. And like, why do we have states? If not, that should be the answer for everything. So like, let's take out state. Let's yeah. just have, okay, maybe we can maybe we can say that. But while we're having this system, which has a state that regulates human behavior and human behavior in society, well, yeah. then that's the responsibility of the state, of course. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Which is not the answer that they give to other things. But when it deals with us, yes, of course. Exactly. Well, I think that's very interesting what you said. I didn't know about that, that they do this, um, like um, educating people in companies. I think that's very interesting. Yeah, in Argentina, it's a recent law. It's now in in the states, like in the state uh, built mm. places, you know, in the, in the like governmental ministers, ministries and whatever. It's obligatory for them to have these formations like yeah. these trainings, uh, so that all employees, men, women, everyone, like know know yeah. the protocols and, and know about. It's not only protocol; it's also uh, training in, uh, in gender issues, yeah. many gender issues, because it, it's it's like so many things that we need to continue. Like there was an example that happened where I worked that uh, a trans person went into a a trans woman went into the women's bathroom and the security guy, a guy, went inside the bathroom so he, he could go inside the bathroom <laughs> to take her, yeah, ridiculous, to take her out and she was like inside like the box and she was like, well, uh, can you, sorry, like I'm using the bathroom, you know, using the toilet, like it was very violent and he was like, no, you can't go in because this is for women and you're a man and uh, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Yes. So, and it's, it's terrible. And, and that is also something that we have to, to think about. And for, I think it, it's more than only knowing like uh, uh, some laws and rules and what you should do with some. I think we need to think, all of us, uh, think about many more things. And yeah. yeah, that, and these trainings include this. It's like gender issues yeah. <laughs> in, in state. Wow. it's very interesting that I, yeah that, that's i think that's definitely the way forward it's uh to create um more information and awareness around these things for everyone you know because i always say like this whole all these feminist issues it's not like um women wants to fight this battle against men you know, it's actually we want to open up a debate and a platform for all of us to talk and find a solution together because we're here in this world together and we'd like to live here, all of us together. <laughs> so I think we all want to find a solution to this uh, together. And um, I always invite men into conversations, debates and reflections. And also I invite them to ask questions. And inform mm -hmm. themselves and i'm doing this series right now uh only with women because i wanted to give a voice to them women um but i've actually thought that it could also be interesting to do um some videos with men perhaps um to, to see things from their perspective but because i want to open up the debate right and i want us to talk about things together and I want men to realize certain things by listening to us and also I want to you know I want to hear from their side as well because why I mean this is also interesting because I spoke to um, a good friend of mine who's also a film director who does actually documentaries as well she was here on changing the narrative and her name is Cello um, and she did a film about the whole spectrum of sexual violence. So everything mm -hmm. from like sexual harassment to uh, sex trafficking with women and sexual torture. Um, very, very interesting documentary that's called Sand of Silence. Um, and um, we were actually talking about how the, you know, you wanna solve this problem because there is a pandemic of sexual violence at the moment in our world. And we wanna solve the problem, okay? So solving the problem doesn't seem like just being sending people to prisons because the prisons are full of them. <laughs> and you send one in and uh, 10 more come, you know? It's like, it's never ending. So you need to find the solution and you need to find the reason behind why. Um, and why are there so many uh, men who are who have um, mental disorders, for example, and psychopathic. Um, uh, that is something that also should be looked at. And, and I mean, that's a whole nother subject. I just thought that it was very interesting because her and I have also uh, talked about uh, pedophilia and where that comes from mm -hmm. and how... Um, some pedophiles are actually uh, not engaging and, you know, they understand their condition 
and they understand that it would be terrible and traumatic and hurtful for the kid to be with them. So they live in celibacy and they just try to live their life as good as they can. Yeah, it's, it's really, really, uh, it's a huge taboo and it's a big subject. And I've actually been researching a lot about this, investigating a lot. And, and I have been in contact with many pedophiles that I've spoken to um, over the phone and email who um, I've had conversations around this. And so that approach of, okay, let's put them into therapy. Let's talk to them. Let's find out where does this come from? Let's find out how we can help them instead of saying they're all monsters. They need to just go to jail. And obviously if you commit a crime, if, if a pedophile person uh, commits a crime, then of course he needs to go to jail, but he doesn't need to be forgotten about. He needs help and he needs to be, um, uh, well, he needs to have therapy, right? And we need to through there through there find a solution. And it and I'm telling you all of this because it's the same approach I would take to um, all these men out out there in the world who are committing crimes, who are sexual predators, who are rapists, who are um, even like committing sexual harassment and the attitude towards women. They need to be really educated and in some in some instances helped and because also when you think about it what have they gone through in their childhood or how have their upbringing been we're all sort of indoctrinated by society and the way our parents have raised us and where we're from and and all of this and that has to be sometimes taken into consideration as well although you know i always say that of course anyone who commits a crime needs to um go to jail and and be punished but then at the same time let's not forget about these people let's try and also help them so they don't go out and commit the crime again and also so we understand why they are committing this crime and how can we avoid that so many people are committing these types of crimes because it really is a huge global problem. You know, femicide and sex trafficking and rape, sexual violence in general is such a huge problem that we're just kind of trying to push away and not talk about and not think mm -hmm. about. And, um, and sometimes it really blows my mind because we're half of this world's population, <laughs> how is it that it's not more important, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so sorry, now I, I stole some time <laughs> talking about this, but uh, I would like for you to, we still have a little bit of time and I would like for you to maybe tell us about your documentary uh, what is your documentary about? What, what are you going to explore in your documentary? Okay. Well, so what I told you about my sister was like my motivation and mm. what's it's like my person. It 
be on the documentary. It's like my personal, I, I say that my film is my personal answer to, to, to the horror of gender violence. Mm. So, well, so the answer is actually, and it's something interesting uh, with all that we've been speaking, is that I found the, I reread or I read for the first time, I'm not sure, the frame tale of the Arabian Nights, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't know um, if you have uh, read them or if you're familiar with it, but for me, it was like, of course I was familiar with it. I think most are like, but I mean, it's, it's Latin. And... It's, also, it's also called Thousand and One Nights, right? In English? I yes. Think? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I prefer that translation because it's, okay. it's also like the title of my film is La Mil for yeah. thousand and one. Yeah. But I think it's most popularly known as the Arabian Nights. I okay. think it's a mistake because I think that a thousand and one nights is such a beautiful title. Yeah. And, and it makes much more sense. So, yes. The, Thank you. Thank you for that. Let's let's use that title because it's much nicer. But that's so a, I, I have to be honest. That's how I know. I know the, the, that tale. Well, I didn't mm-hmm. actually know it that well um, until I, I read about your documentary and I, you know, researched a little bit. But I know the tale from that title, Thousand and One Nights. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm happy to know that. Because when <laughs> I titled the title, I was like, the one thousand. And so I have to say Thousand and One Nights. And people would say, no, you should say Arabian. I'm like, I'm not using Arabian. So great. Yeah. Good, great, good, good. Thousand and One Nights. Good to know. <laughs> So, well, I, I just had this imagery, which I think many people have. And actually, it was an imagery of all this, like, uh, oriental uh, odalists and sensual women and Aladdin and exotic and whatever. And then suddenly I found um, this tale, which is Shirasade's tale, which is the old, the frame tale of the, of the A Thousand and One Nights. Um, which is that, well, it's, it's, it's very impressive. The story starts with, with two kings, well, with one king, and he was going to go visit his brother, another king. And when he was leaving, he left his castle. And when he came back, uh, because he had forgotten something, he found his wife uh, having sex with one of his slaves. So what did he do? He killed her. <laughs> everything we've been talking about right so he killed her and he was very angry he went he killed her and the slave and he went away to to see his brother really with rage and very angry and sad and then he was with his brother in his brother's palace and then his brother was hunting somewhere and he looked through the window and he saw his brother's wife having an orgy with other women and with uh, many slaves so then he was like, oh, my God, women are terrible. And he told this to, to his brother and they killed all of the women, God. including uh, his wife. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, so then the second king, this is where we are, when this king went to visit him, he decided because he was so angry with women and so hurt and, and we had, had been, yeah, so he was very angry. So he decided, apart from killing her, he started killing one girl every night actually he raped her he got he got one of his ministers to bring him a virgin girl every night and he raped her and then killed her the next morning and he started doing this every night with so with almost all of the girls from from the town and then Shirasade was the daughter of, of this minister that had in charge taking mm-hmm. her and the, the girls and when she heard about this she said uh, she asked her father to take her to the king and his father her father was like no i'm not doing this he's gonna kill he's gonna kill you she said no you have to do this because this is the way i'm gonna free the 
the whole women of my of my town. So it's, I found it very beautiful. And the way she had, the strategy she had, uh, was to tell him a story every night and interrupt it in the climax so that he could he would keep her alive just to keep listening the next night. And that's the A Thousand and One Nights. It's all of the nights that she managed keeping him, keeping herself, herself. alive. Yeah. But actually, because some people know the story and tell me, no, uh, she did that to survive. Yes and no. She she decided to marry him because she had a strategy to save the rest. Yeah. So I found it like such a I found it such a powerful gesture, like such and such a powerful narrative, because she decided it because she had a strategy and her strategy was telling stories. Hmm. So, uh, so for me, I think you should interview Shirasal if you could. So she is like. <laughs> But Anna, do you realize that she's like your sister? I thought of that when when I saw I was very emotional because I already I was already reading this and I already wanted to do something with it but the film was completely different and I wanted to go to Turkey things were different mm. I had other ideas I had the story I was like I I, I was fascinated with the story yeah. I found it fascinating because we don't know it so she is one more of the silenced women you know yeah. her story is silenced how come we don't know it and actually I've been reading Because I was fascinated with it, so I've been reading a lot about it, like interpretations of this tale. And one one interpretation, many people say that actually, when the French, uh, some friend during the French invasion of, of the Middle East, uh, they had all these. They went in with the with the army, but also with people from culture, writers, and they would write all these tales of their trips, which would create the image of of, of the East, right? So mm -hmm. creating the image, creating the narrative of yeah. a barbaric East and weak and whatever that that would justify the invasion. So uh, in these these translations of the East that they made, which the A Thousand One Nights is just one of them, but they also did it in painting. All of the paintings, all of the images of women uh, yeah. in the East that Europe did is all these sensual women. And so when he when when he translated the figure of Shirasade, she was a, a sex entertainer of the king. Okay. She was not a political strategist. Yeah. And and actually, if, you, if I started looking at all the representations that were done of her, and and well, it, it's it is actually it's it was that's why I started saying my imagery is all of these odalisk and sensual women and yeah. you know, the, that imagery, which is which is false. Yeah, and 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 so Shirasade, I, I I think of Shirasade, and she was she didn't survive. <laughs> she survived the A Thousand and One Nights, but she didn't survive the translations, the European men, male translations, because yeah. she was completely mutilated, literally. Yeah, and well, and there are many people that are now. I I, I want to cite uh, Fatima Maranisi, which is a Moroccan writer. And she does all this. I I I I reach Shadisada through her, reading her, and she makes all this lecture of Shadisada, this this reading of this interpretation, which I think is fascinating, and I think it's what we're talking about. Like so, Shadisada. There's many levels. Shadisada was telling stories to survive, and then she was killed, literally, by these men that decided that the narrative, in order for them to be able to invade more easily, was creating this image that we still see of these sexual objects, yeah. not strong women. We don't do, we don't have strategies. We are not politically organized. We are always like objects, passive. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to, so I'll quickly go to the documentary. I want to get this tale, 
well, at least this interpretation of the tale and adapt it to contemporary Argentina and to contemporary Argentinian struggles. And the question I make myself is how would a Xerezade be in Argentina today? So to do this, um, I, I, I called a friend of mine, which is a theater director to make an adaptation of the tale to theater. And so my film will be, um, and well, and the casting of this, we made an open casting uh, calling different women um, and trans people that were interested in using their own lives, experiences or subjectivity uh, mm -hmm. to adapt this tale to contemporary Argentina through theater that they could come. And we had a very big casting and we, well, we, in the end, we're gonna work with 15 of them very diverse. Wow. The youngest is 15, the oldest is 78. Wow. Uh, there's a sex worker, there's a trans mom, there is a student, there are some actresses, there's a lawyer. Well, it's very, very diverse. And and when and in the casting, we, we asked them to read the tale and we were asking them what, what they thought about the character. And they all felt identified with this character. I think what, for me, why I selected all, all of them is that they're all fighters, they're all activists, they're all strugglers, let's say, even though they're, they don't explicitly, they're not explicitly, they don't explicitly form part of an organization and they all feel identified with this character. So I will be uh, recording the process of creating this play where, where they will be using their own stories to create their Xerezade, which will be a collective Xerezade. Because yeah. for me, the answer is Xerezade did a lot alone but we have to do it together. That's a bit of what I want to say, because it's yeah. what you say, it's global. It's too big. Yeah. We can't do it alone. And exactly. well, I, that's, that's, a bit, that's a bit of it. So it will be them as characters. It will be their lives and their own stories. And that's why I was saying in the beginning that for me, what I want to do, at least after what I suffered, seeing all these, this narrative is to... Mm -hmm to make, to tell stories of, of so many, because there's so many diverse women that yeah. in their own way, they are resisting and, and creating. And also I chose theater because, and she decided did it through fiction, through telling stories. And that's what I want to do. I want, I want to, I want to portray them. I want the images I have of all of these people be of them creating something together. Mm. Because I, I think it's, I think it's, it's not the way but I think it's one of the ways, and at least it's the way that most uh, most touches me and what what I what I want to do. So that's yeah, a bit. It, <laughs> it's what it's what makes sense to you, right? And because exactly. you have your your emotions and your your heart in it, so it's perfect. It's what you should do, and it's how you can contribute to to the fight and to the struggle. I mean, that's that's wonderful. I think. Uh, everyone as an artist should do that, right? Find their way of how they can contribute to whatever they um, believe in, but do it, in, do it in a way so that it makes sense for them. Because exactly. then it will make more sense to other people as well. You know, I'm sure when people go in and watch this play or watch your documentary when it's out, they are going to feel that they are going to feel all your intentions and the motivation behind and the passion and everything that you have put into this project. Um, well, what I would like them to feel it's, it's my goal with the film. If I manage that, I think I will be, I will feel realized. I will feel yeah. like fulfilled is that in going back to the beginning of our conversation, this feeling that I feel when I am 
I'm in a in a in a massive movement with mm. with many other people, which in a collective. Like when I'm part of a collective body, what I feel in that moment, and what was also what you were saying, what you feel when you see un violador en tu camino, it's something yeah. of that that is very difficult to explain. I want people to see the film to feel something of that. So yeah. that's my secret goal. <laughs> Let's see if I manage. <laughs> I'm sure you will. And when can we, if if anyone is in Buenos Aires, for example. Um, how and when can they see this play? Is Can you go and, and see it somewhere? Yeah, of course. The play yeah. will, will be released uh, in the FIBA, which is the International Theater Festival of Buenos Aires. Mm -hmm. it, will have, it will have two two plays, I think, two nights, I, I think. It will be its first release. And after that, it will be uh, playing in the Centro Cultural San Martín, I think for a month and a half. So okay. February. This is, uh, I don't know if I said it. End of February and during the festival during FIBA and after that I, I suppose March April it will be in, in the in the Centro Cultural San Martin and um, well in my film I hope I don't know <laughs> it will take longer but I hope someday we can see it in the cinemas but that will take some while yeah but you know who knows <laughs> maybe somebody watching this uh, mm -hmm. maybe a distributor or somebody. <laughs> Uh, wants to get in contact with you and uh, you never know, you get a deal that way. I hope. Well, and something else <laughs> I would like to say before finishing is what yeah. we're going to do with, with Jimena, Jimena del Pozo, which is the director of the play. We're working on a broader project because for us, and going back to the title also, right? The Las Mil y Una Noches, the 1001 Nights, is the idea of the infinite, of the mm -hmm. infinite, of the utopia. And so what we want to do And we're working on it is that we're doing in Buenos Aires the the um, night zero the frame night which mm -hmm. is Shirazade's story and we're going to be inviting uh, other women uh, scriptwriters uh, screenwriters directors theater directors and filmmakers from different cities of the world to continue with the night one and with the night two and and to create their plays or performances or whatever they want to create with that, uh, working on, well, as a way to portray their own stories of struggle. Um, so that's it. We're working on the project. I will let you know when we have yes. it. We have a manifesto that is our starting point. And awesome. it's this, it's a thousand and one. So of course it's an infinite and utopian project, but yeah. we like it that way because we, we want us to have utopias again. That's awesome. Anna, so we're going to wrap up now. This has been a really amazing conversation. I, I really love talking to you. Um, and this is one of the first times that we, we've been talking. We haven't met each other. Some of the others that I've had on are either friends or contacts of mine, and I've talked to them before. Um, so it's always exciting when it's someone that you don't really know. Uh, but I find your work super interesting and also very important. Um, I would like for you to just here at the end mention to us if do you have anything you want to share, like more promotional things, like either a website or somewhere where we can find out more about your your projects. 
I'm terrible promoting myself, so not yet. <laughs> I only have the Indiegogo campaign now, but it will be finished. Yeah. So we will eventually have a platform for this project, Unainil, for the big project, uh, mm-hmm. but it's not ready yet. So no, only my personal Instagram. Yeah, but that's <laughs> a good story. thing. Your Instagram, if people want to get in touch with you or if they want to follow the process, they can follow you on Instagram. Yes, yeah. for now it's it. And when, when, if I someday have a website for the film or when Unaimil mm. is finally launched, I will share it on my personal Instagram. So, so yes. That's so that cool. is Anita Bovino, <laughs> which is my nickname and my last name. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, being here with me today and talking about the. Uh, difficult subject I know for you um, but also very important and I'm really happy to see um, how you're doing with your documentary Uh, I'll keep in contact with you so that I can get all the updates and yeah that's it thank you so much Anna thank you it was great I loved it take care Bye. bye